What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Fondlessness, fondlessness, fondlessness. Having fondlessness, having fondlessness. Having Funlessness with Jen Kirkman, episode 331. Oh my God, what the hell is this? It's a podcast hosted by Jen Kirkman. No, I did not just start this podcast because there's a pandemic. I've had it since 2013, seven years. I actually think I started it around... Uh, maybe May. So we're almost at a seven-year anniversary. <laughs> what a joy. Anyway, this is Jen Kirkman. I am a comedian. You may remember me from Chelsea Lately or Drunk History, or you've seen my Netflix specials, I'm Gonna Die Alone and I Feel Fine, and my second Netflix special, which nobody knows about, called Just Keep Living. Um, there you go. This is where I go to monologue, tell stories, talk about what's going on in the world, in my life, in my head every week. I hope it's funny sometimes, but it's not intentionally joke-telling. So it's kind of like a, a human being a human who happens to be a comedian. So there you go. I think you understand what podcasts now are at this point. <laughs> but you look at some of those iTunes reviews. You, well, you fucking mouth breathers. Anyway, how are you all doing? Oh, my Lord. The world, the world is on lockdown. Except Sweden I'm reading about. What the fuck's doing don't anyway. Well, actually, what they're doing is the system. I know what they're doing. It's just they're going to be fucked is what I'm saying. Ah, uh, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, I always say what we're going to talk about and then I never get to it. But I do want to talk about um, reading. <laughs> That's fun. Reading. Um, I'm stressed about all I have to read. Uh, what it was like to go to the gas station. Uh, we're going to check in with my mom. I'm going to call my mom. And I, I told her she doesn't have to be funny, but if she could just retell me some of her stories. She's a, a small-town vigilante with the face masks. Um, I'm going to read an article written by a woman who uh, ha is, lives a life alone, but not like in a sad way. And she's like, this has all finally caught up to me. Um, not this is all. No, she's like, now the world is finally doing what I'm doing. Um, 
So I think every week I might read you guys an article. So this week it'll be that one. I want to read you Fran Lebowitz's article, interview in The New Yorker next week. So I'll do those at the end of the episode, and I'll make it like reading time so that if you don't like to be read to, you can uh, hop off. And if you do, it'll just be a soothing person reading to you. How does that sound? I mean, I don't think I'm soothing, but y'all know what I'm saying. Um, getting into the groove of overeating, not overeating, what's it been like? Wax dripping on the floor. That was something I was going to talk about last week, which we can talk about this week. Um, maybe I'll read a couple listener emails. I don't know. So I was thinking of this today. I'm going to tell you about the time, uh, I complained that football star Doug Flutie of the New England Patriots was going to speak at my school. And I think I've talked about it maybe on the podcast before, but nobody remembers anything. People don't even remember what they just heard. Um, first of all, well, I'll get into it later. I wanted to, I, I am so happy that all of you who joined Patreon have joined patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman for $5 a month. You get a bonus 20 minute episode every month. But you also get the video feed of this podcast. So if you want to look at me sitting in my home, I do put on makeup for you, um, then you can enjoy that. And there's also little extra bonuses that I throw in all the time. And then there's the $10 level, the 15, the 20, the 25, the 50. Um, I've closed down the $50 level because it involves free tickets to shows. And I don't know if I'm going to be performing again in 2020. So I don't want uh, people signing up for that and not being able to get one of the most major bonuses of it. So, um, but with every level, there is bonus brand new original content. There is exclusive merchandise that you cannot get anywhere else. And I throw in extra bonuses that aren't listed at least two to three times a month. So there you go. And those include audio of my stand-up when I go around the country. I do audio a lot of it on my phone. Um, private things like little videos of me and my family or photographs from my trips. So there you go. I'm not creating a lot of memories right now as I'm sitting in my apartment. But, you know, uh, I have a lot of backlog stuff that I can show people. So... So yeah, I've been, so I watched three movies. Wow. What, a, but that's a big deal. I never feel like I have time to do anything. So at the time of this hearing that you're hearing this, I will be done with my, um, latest writing job and I will currently be not getting uh, a check every week. I'll currently be not typically employed. So how I am still employed is that, um, I have to finish up writing a little, uh, TV movie, um, that I'm writing. It, it's not, it's not going to air. It's, it's a whole process. You write it. They may never do it. They may give it to someone else to rewrite, but I do have to finish and turn in one draft. And I get like the littlest bit of, um, a, a, a dangling paycheck that I haven't gotten. So, but that's not even enough to count for anything, but it is work and I need to finish it. So, I still don't have this sense of like, wow, I have nothing to do. What do I do during this pandemic? Like I've got the Patreon. That's, that's work every week. I've got this script. So I still am not in the clear. And I think it's probably good because, you know, my other jobs were taking up 100% of my brain because there were more than 40 hours a week. I mean, the one I was on before, I was on this um, 
I was just on a job and I was working about 60 hours a week. I don't even know, probably more actually. And I kept being like, why is everyone, I don't mean why is everyone stressed about the pandemic, but the people that aren't sick, that don't have loved ones that are dying, people that aren't really like hurting for money just yet, eventually they will be, but people who just simply had one problem that they didn't have anywhere to go or anything to do, those people were driving me crazy and they were up my ass every day. What are you doing? Let's check in. I'm like, we can't have an emotional check-in after three days. Like that's like a long weekend of being hungover where you wouldn't hear from someone for three days or like they have a cold or they're depressed or, you know, whatever. Um, it was too much for me. And now I'm like, oh, okay. The, the first day that I didn't work a 13 hour day, I was like, oh, here come the feelings. Oh, okay. 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 Yep. 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 And I have a few friends I talk on the phone with. Like some friends of mine are not talk on the phone types. I have one guy friend. He's like a talk on the phone type. And he just, he's the only person I know who's living alone in social distancing. Um, I mean, he's the only person I know who's Yeah, I mean, everyone I know who lives alone is social distancing. Um, a lot of people I know that don't live alone are like, I don't know what they're doing. But um, so I talk to him every couple nights. I talk to a couple girlfriends. Um, but it's a lot. It's like so much talking. Um, I, I haven't been used to talking on the phone in a while because when I had my vocal issues – and I had to rest. I couldn't tour. I couldn't do um, meetings over the phone. Like I couldn't do, uh, you know, conference calls and I couldn't do phone calls. So it, I had to work my way back up to talking on the phone. And it still seems weird to me. I still feel like I'm doing something wrong to my voice, but my voice is better. So I had a point. Oh, so Yeah, this one night I was like, why am I just getting drunk for no reason? Like my friend called me. He was like, I never drink and I'm drunk. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get drunk too. <laughs> he was like having some, you know, problem. And, and uh, I I was like, I, I just don't know. I was just, it was just unconscious. And then I, I had a therapy session by phone or, you know, video or whatever. And, you know, my therapist knows me. She knows I, I like wine And, but I'm not, I don't usually sit alone at home and drink. And I, um, for me, like food is, food's something I have to watch because I can gain weight really easily. And, but I love food. And so for me, I don't like to drink a lot because it's like sort of acts like the way that people who smoke pot, like they get the munchies. Like I get I want to eat everything when I start drinking. And it's not an actual hunger. It's just more, more. I don't know if it, whatever. I don't really care the science behind it. But so my therapist said, well, maybe if you eat when you drink, you're not getting buzzed. So maybe you need to have a drink on an empty stomach and just enjoy that buzz and put it down. And then, you know, have a little dinner. And I was like, this is the worst. It's just like a weird therapy advice. It's also bad drinking advice. No one's like, I have a buzz, better put it down. I mean, I can do that. But my whole point to her was, like, I'm the person that pours a glass of wine and doesn't finish it um, if they're at home, like, doing a thing. 
or I pour a second and then I'm like, oh, I didn't actually want that. And then I don't finish it. But during the, I was going to say the recession, well, I'm sure there will be one, but during the pandemic, I've been like, how did that, how many glasses just went by? So um, now I, it was, and it was funny because I was so worried, but it was like, I don't really want to do that all the time. AIDS bad for your immune system. I'm going to get bigger. It's bad for my voice. It's bad for my acid reflux. There's no world where I want to come out of this looking like fucking Jim Morrison, you know, (laughs) or fat Elvis. So I, I naturally autocorrect, you know, and so I should have just known that, but I was really worried. I was like, is this the new reality? Like I just drink wine and, and overeat. And it's like, no, it was just the first few days when you realized your thoughts were streaming in and I'm angry. You know, I want to go to New York in May like I was supposed to. I want to visit my family. I'm angry that my parents are elderly and that I can't go see them and I don't know when I'm going to be able to because until we have this facocta testing, I can't find out if I have the antibodies. And so I can't travel. I can't get on a plane and expose myself to the virus and then go say, hey, mom and dad, I'd have to go quarantine for 14 days, then go see them. Who has that kind of time? So I'm really angry. I'm angry that this could have been handled better. And my parents, I mean, God forbid, you know, they're older. So like every minute's precious and time is being taken from us. And I I fucking am so angry about this. And I haven't even gotten to feeling angry about not being able to do my job as a stand-up. But I got to tell you, I was angry about that last year because my tour numbers were slipping. And so I went back to doing comedy clubs, which... um, a little bit of a down step, although every comedian plays comedy clubs because it's the best place to work out new material. So even like your big famous comedians, everyone loves a comedy club. But it was fun to like get to do your own theater one night. And there's certain cities I can still do that, but mostly it's a, it's a risk. So um, comedy clubs, they have a built-in pay for you. If no one shows up, you still get X amount of dollars. They still pay the travel. So it's, it's a lot safer way to work. It's just that you have to work five shows a week um, you know, instead of just one night, which is sometimes easier, but anyway, so, but you know, I'm starting to think, I don't think I'm going to be able to do my shows that I have coming up September through November. And those were the ones I'm really looking forward to some of my favorite cities. So I mean, I'm very lucky I'm alive and healthy and that my family and friends are, I'm extremely lucky. And I'm extremely lucky that I'm growing my bangs out anyway. I mean, can you believe I was, I remember, I couldn't find it though, but I remember posting it. I think I deleted it for some reason, but it had nothing to do with the pandemic. I think maybe I was just getting like creepy comments, but I think like six weeks ago I posted, I'm not leaving the house for the rest of the year because I'm growing my bangs out. Well, I didn't know that would be so prophetic. I think everybody's having a hair issue right before I went um, into isolation which I realized I think was a little earlier than most people. I did it March 13th. But when I went into it, I was angry with my hairdresser because I got all these blonde highlights. Like my hair was a lot blonder a couple months ago. And he redid them, you know, but then he puts this toner on it, which makes them darker, which is so fucking annoying. And it still hasn't washed out. It's driving me nuts. And so I may do a highlight from home situation. I ordered a box of 
I don't even know. I, I don't mean to imply only women know about this, but only people who do hair highlighting, which I realize is men too. But you put this weird little cap on and then you pull the hairs through. And I watched a lot of YouTube tutorials. These, these women, their hair is gorgeous. I can't believe they're doing it themselves. I'm going to come out looking like it's 1998 and I've got a hundred bucks to my name and I'm 22 and I'm going to student hairdressers for 10 bucks to get, you know, my highlights. And it's going to look terrible. There's going to be as much work as hairdressers are losing now. They're going to have so much work the day everything reopens. Everyone's going to be coming to them like, I cut my own hair. <laughs> Help me. But I am almost excited to join the ranks of people doing stupid shit to their hair while under quarantine, like something, something to kick up the drama around here, to kick up the energy. So yeah, I'm over my little drinking phase. I mean, listen, I'm still going to have a, a couple glasses of wine a week. Let's not be crazy. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm gaining the weight rapidly. I mean, it's, it's bad. So I've been doing my home ballet workouts um, it's called balletbeautiful.com. They are not a sponsor, but I think it's like 40 bucks a month. I signed up on some discount thing. So I think I'm getting it a little cheaper and I love it because I used to take ballet. So I find the moves to be, uh, not easy necessarily. And even if you never took dance, these were very easy moves, but I find them to be, oh yeah, I remember moving my body this way and I would never take ballet in public. And so it's been really helpful to have something to do at home where no one else can see me. And then, um, you know, I'm still trying to take my walks, but there's way too many people not social distancing. Again, it's always people with dogs. They all just, they get, it's like they've never seen a dog before. Like I get it. It's your interest. You know, if you were a sculptor and people had to walk their sculptures every day and you walked around with your bust of Beethoven and someone else was walking around, you know, with like a, a guy throwing a disc and they only had, you know, got halfway done. And you go, oh my God, are you using blah, blah, clay? Yeah, no, I put mine in the oven. I get it, you know, but, and I get that in general, it's a nice thing to take care of an animal and then to walk it and see another human and be kind to them and share your love of animals. I mean, that's all that's going on. And that's a beautiful thing. But in a pandemic, when we're all supposed to come together, I've been coming apart. I've been on the hate train. <laughs> I've been like, I hate everyone except nurses, doctors, people who deliver things, people in grocery stores, bus drivers. You know, I hate everyone but them. I hate everyone else. Hate. Hate anyone not in a mask. Hate anyone. So no one's wearing a mask. We're supposed to, but okay. So, the, so you could argue, well, it's outside. Do you have to? I say yes, but okay. So, okay, if you're outside not wearing a mask, then stay six fucking feet away from people. I see these three middle-aged women. They are all walking their dogs separately. They're, oh, I see a dog. I see a dog. And, and that instinct takes over and not the one. Now, I know the instinct to share a connection with a human and have a conversation and share your love of animals is a beautiful instinct. But so is the instinct to um, pay attention to the rules of a pandemic and not put other people at risk and not put yourself at risk and not look disrespectful to the nurse driving by coming home from her 25 hour shift going, why the fuck are three people standing on the street? Not social distancing. I'm risking my life for you assholes. See, so you would think that instinct would kick in, 
If you have the instinct to be a gorgeous person who talks on the street to strangers and shares a love of animals, where's your instinct to not be a dick during a pandemic? So they all see each other and they're like, hi, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I have this kind of dog. I have that kind of dog. Beep, boop, 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 boop. And I'm like, what? So I had to go back inside because I couldn't contain the rage. Walking is supposed to be good for my mental health. But I go early in the morning when no one else will get up. Or today it was dark and raining at 8 a.m. So I went at 8 a.m., which I realized... Isn't that also early in the morning? Yes, but I meant other times I go even earlier. Go 8 a.m. I don't care it's raining on me. It's the sacrifice I make to be totally alone on the streets. And, you know, I just looked at flowers. I took pictures. That iPhone camera is amazing. Throw it in portrait mode. Looks like you're some kind of photographer. It still amazes me whenever I post pictures. People DM me, you're an amazing photographer. (laughs) No, I'm not. It's portrait mode on iPhone. I'm not an amazing photographer. Oh my God, your skin looks so good. What is it? Filters, filters. So. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. Where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Happy Passover, everyone. Me yelling filters made me think of gefilte fish. And then I thought, is there a filter for the Jewish people um, during holidays called gefilte filter? (laughs) I don't know what it would do. It would filter everything in a Passover way. I don't, I don't fucking know. Um, I love a Passover Seder, although I am not Jewish. I have been to many. I usually do have one to go to every year, um, and I'm sad I did not have one to go to this year. Not even a Zoom one. I mean, the Zoom one is like fam. I feel like that's like family only. I'm always the friend that's like barging in when there's like a friend Seder or like half family, half friends. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm just going to slip this in right here. To all the guys in my DMs, whether it's the Patreon DMs or Instagram or Twitter, I'm not looking for a man. I have plenty of options and plenty of great things. Um, Plenty of ideas for when we're all back out there. Um, I'm all good. I'm all good. And I've got wonderful man friends in my life too. I'm all good. I don't know what's happening with men where they are just taking their chances with women. It's like, please stop sullying and dirtying up the fandom if that makes sense. And then men will do this. I'm sorry. Then they get in your DMs. I'm sorry that other men are doing this. Like no, now you're doing it in a different way. Um, there's this one guy who keeps DMing me. I'm a nice Jewish boy. I'm like, I'm not Jewish. I'm your biggest fan. Then you would know my material is me and my Catholic mom. Ah, anyway. Oh, everything annoys me. Don't now, don't now my Patreon people. My whole point is I love you all. And I try not to DM too much because I don't know any of you. Uh, Some of you I do know, but um, just please don't take offense if I don't DM too much because we can all talk in public on the, on the chat message boards. Um, But I, I, I I just have to protect myself. There's never been a time when I haven't gone, I think this person's DMing a lot where it hasn't ended up being like something creepy. So there you go. Just a little message to the men's and I speak for all women. So Yeah, so I'm back to my little groove, which, you know, 
I'm, I'm realizing, I, I thought like having a schedule is key. And I, I tried to do that. At 6.30, I do this. At 7 is this. Then it's meditation. Then it's ba-da-ba-ba. And it's like, look, as long as I get all the things done I want to do in a day, do some working out, do some meditation, do some connecting with humans, do some work on like the Patreon or the podcast or do some reading, watch some TV. As long as I do all my little clean the house, as long as I do all my little things, uh, my little projects, it doesn't matter the order or that I do it at the same time every day, but I'm one of these people who is desperate to be the person with the schedule. Now, I always have a 50 gazillion appointments when the world is up and running. And I do have to have a schedule because it's like, go here at this time, go here at that time. But it feels like this oppressive schedule that I didn't choose. But but left to her own devices, am I the woman that's like, I get up at this time, I do that. I want to be. It looks so glamorous to me to have a schedule or one outfit that you wear. You, you know, you have the same shirt and you have the same pants and the same color and you wear that all the time. But you know, I'm just not that person. I'm, I know it seems hard to believe, but I'm way more freewheeling and like will drop everything to go have fun. And I know that sounds antithetical to everything I've built this podcast on, but it's always just that it's been what I find fun. And what I find fun isn't always what other people find fun. But, you know, it's like, let's just say... I had a rich friend and I went to their beach house and I had a lot of work to do. Maybe not an official work deadline, but my own work deadline where, you know, let's say I'm writing a book and, you know, it's due in three months, but I really wanted this week to really nail down this one chapter. And I'm at a friend's beach house who's rich and I'm having fun. I'm getting a little drunk. But in my head, I'm the woman who goes home after a couple drinks, drinks 10 glasses of water goes to bed, gets up early, does calisthenics, and starts writing. That's who I think I am. But then what will happen is I'm having so much fun at the beach house, then the voice starts going, life's short. This is what books are all about anyway. I mean, how would you have even written a book if you don't have a life? And then you sleep over at your friend's beach house, and then the party starts the next day, and you're like, I'm having fun. I'm going to run on the beach. I'm going to listen. I'm living my life. And then you are up against a deadline so badly that you are so stressed and then you get the writing done. And when you're in that tight groove, there is definitely, well, there's no room for a schedule. You can't do anything else but write. But then when it's over, then there's this, oh my God, I just want a schedule. No more of that freewheeling and then cramming lifestyle. And then I can do a schedule for a couple days and then something happens and I fall out of it. So like that entire thing is what it, a schedule looks like. Now, I know that beach house story sounds real specific and like maybe that happened. It didn't quite, but stuff like that has happened where it's like, you know, out with friends. Oh, life is short. We all do it tomorrow. Let's do this. You know, stuff like that. And I know it sounds crazy, but the only thing I don't find fun is like yelling woo at nightclubs and being an adult who turns on the radio and doesn't like any adult who just turns on top 40. A grown, not even, you don't have kids, you're just a grown person. You grew up with your own music. You know, you had your Belle Biv DeVoe in the 90s or whatever you listen to. And you just turn on music and you don't know what it is and you get into it. I, I don't know what that, to me that's sociopathic. There's a bit in there and I've been trying to work on it for years and maybe I'll finally figure it out. Um, not that stand-up is a thing anymore. So I was going to call my mom 
And then after that, I want to finally read that article that um, procrastination is um, not a time management issue, but a emotional issue. Because I really think that that's, that's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling really stressed about my time management during this, um, I was going to say hurricane. I just, my brain just keeps saying words. Hang on one second. Let me find this article. Here it is. Okay, great. So we're going to call my mom first. Then I'm going to read that article. We're going to talk about time management. If you guys want to tell me, are you a secret schedule person? Are you someone who desperately wants to have a schedule? You've even written one out and you may even do it for a few days, but ultimately you're the kind of person who's like, look, I need to get that Pilates done today. I need to, you know, scrub my floor today. For some reason, I the night before, I was so sure of it that this is how today would go. And then once today happens, I don't feel like it or I'm doing this. Do you follow your whims more than you kind of want to admit? Um, or are there scheduled people out there? I'm going to do it. I, I probably do it more than I think. But, man, oh, my God. I just – and I also think I have one of those minds where I break what I'm going to do because it creates like a little bit of harriedness and drama in my life. And maybe I need that. And I'm not saying it's good, but well, I mean, hey, at least I'm not, you know, smoking crack. But there is sort of like a thing to be said for kind of like an addiction to just mild chaos every day so that you can, you know, feel alive. I hope my parents don't pull any fuckery. Like my mom knows I'm calling at this time. I don't want my dad. Oh, he's so out of it right now. This sounds okay. Oh boy. Hello. Oh, hi, Mom. Am I bothering you? Oh, hi, Jen. No, not at all. Oh, good. Cleaning up after my homemade pizza. Oh, yeah. How did that go? Oh, great. I made two beautiful pizzas. Two? Yeah, two. Yeah. Did you eat both? No. No, we only ate one. We put, I'll save one for another time. And did you make your own crust? Like, how does that How does that go? Yeah, I buy the dough at the supermarket, and then I, you know, shape it into a pizza shape. Yep. And I put tomatoes and cheese and spices and cook it. Oh, about 12 minutes, and that's it. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't remember ever having homemade pizza when I was a kid. Did you used to make it? No, no. Yeah, your sister Gail told me how to do it. So she's the pizza chef. Oh, yeah, that's true. Are you? Oh, I think we're having a phone connection trouble. Are you still there? I'm still here. Oh, okay. Now, you're going to be, you're on my podcast right now. I hope you don't mind. I, I know I told you that. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, you, you know, something that someone said to me when the, when Dana Carvey called you from my podcast, you know, we had said to the audience, we're going to call my elderly mom. I'm, I feel weird saying that because you don't seem elderly to me. And um, Not to me either. <laughs> yeah, well, someone in the audience was like, oh, no, because they pictured like some old lady was going to answer like, hello, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they said they were so relieved you sounded like 50 years old. And so 
I was thinking that my, you know, my podcast listeners might not know you're going to be 82 next week. Next week, yeah, right. I know. I can't believe it myself, but um, so far, so good. Well, I really see such a difference in you since that pacemaker. It like changed your everything, your energy, your like spiritual energy, your, I mean, you really seem, you look younger. I think, yeah, I think that, you know, um, it does a lot, it does a lot for all the systems in your body that you don't realize aren't working properly, but um, I'm very lucky because it doesn't um, come into a play very often. Um, It's just there because I have a heart that, um, it doesn't actually slow down. It just loses pace once in a while. Right. And so it only works about 17% of the time, which is very low. But Ooh, that's great. I do feel a lot different. So, And I've lost 20 pounds. So not that um, nobody thought I was fat before, but, you know, it, it wasn't um, helpful. No, you were, you were definitely like bigger than you needed to be, if that makes sense. Like, you had extra bloating, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I was in a lot of bloating, yeah. This is very interesting to the public, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, (laughs) anyway, so how are you doing during this pandemic without your CBD, or do you have a supply, or what do you do? I don't don't use it anymore. I really don't. Oh. I need it. I think that's improved quite a bit. Um, So I just use this stuff called Arnica Cream, which is, you can buy it over the counter at CVS, and... um, it just, it, it's, it's soothing, so, you know, as long as I can get to sleep, but I don't sleep very much at night anyway, so it's no big deal anyway, but I have some, um, see, some um, COVID, um, you know, whatever you call it, coronavirus horror stories to tell you. Oh, it, I, please do, I would love to, we, we love a coronavirus horror story. Okay, well, they're not that horror, horrible, but... Um, just annoy- they're annoying. Let's call them annoying stories. Um, first of all, we live on a golf course, and um, so Dad and I try to walk every day, and the other day we were walking on the sidewalk, and I was up against a wooden fence, and a lady was coming with her dog. <laughs> I just talked about dogs on my podcast. Go on. I assumed that she would move out into the street or onto the grass on the side, but she didn't. She let her little doggy, her big doggy, walk straight towards me, and he jumped on me and scraped his claws down my jeans. And so I was really annoyed with that, and I thought, you know, you could have moved over, but she didn't. So when she passed by a little ways, I said, you bitch. And I said, you shouldn't have said that. I said, well... I felt those claws going through my pants, so she needs to know that it wasn't okay. So that was <laughs> anyway. A good, ca- a good Catholic woman. Yeah. During Holy Week, that's what Jesus did. He was carrying that cross, going, "You bitch, you asshole." During Holy Week, <laughs> fuck you, people. <laughs> well, he wouldn't like jo- dogs jumping on me. I know that. Anyway, um, so so far, you know, there's a ban. The governor banned people from being on the golf course, and it backs right up to our backyard, so I can see everything that goes on. So since they've banned people from being out there so far, I have seen bike riders, dog walkers, joggers, golfers, pogo stick um, jumpers, whatever they call them. Shut up. Really? Yeah. I'm just waiting. I was waiting for the ultimate, and I finally saw it yesterday. A man was walking his dog 
by on the sidewalk. The dog got up onto our um, stone fence, and while his owner was reading the sign, which said, closed per order of the governor, the dog lifted his leg and peed on the sign. (laughs) I thought, that is my ultimate um, coronavirus story. That that is the... um what do you call it? The uh, symbolic, right? Symbolism. Like, yeah. here's what we think of the rules. Yeah. You can, we'll pee on it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I didn't see the man. I couldn't read his lips. Yeah. I didn't see him say, oh, you know, um, Toby, that's a terrible thing that you just did. It, the man had a look on his face except, you know, like to say, yeah, good, good for you. Good for you. That's what Did I- you just name his dog Tommy? Toby? Oh, well, you know, people don't realize that fence, it's not a high up fence. It only goes to about knee level and it's six feet from your house. It's, it's right there. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's people are very close. Yeah. Well, oh. the is that I couldn't go any further to the right because I was right, you know, touching the fence. Yeah. But she could go into the street, but she just felt that her dog and she were so special that she didn't have to do that. Now, you know, I always tell you. Don't assume you know what people are thinking, but, you know, I know what you're saying. Correct. Now, attitude. tell me, uh, attitude. I, I was worried about you because you do have high blood pressure and you just seem to spend your days yelling at people. So I want to make sure you're not, um, yeah. not hurting yourself. You don't think you are? No, I'm not yelling. I'm not yelling. No, oh. um, when Dad and I go to the grocery store, we wear our um, Lone Ranger masks. Dad has a red um <laughs> You know, one of those bandana things, and I <laughs> a gold one. <laughs> it makes me so – a gold one? Like, what kind of gold? No, you know, it's like yellow, yellow. Oh, oh, oh. Color. I thought you meant like a gold lame or sequined. Oh, but oh. we're very stylish, unlike the woman who I met in the bread aisle who looked like she had just been to the hairdresser and had her nails done and her hair and had on her best fancy-schmancy coat, and – while everybody was ducking out of everybody else's way, she wanted to talk to me about bread. <laughs> and finally I had to say to her, would you please get out of my way? You know, she just was like oblivious to what was going on. Oh. She was out socializing. Well, you know, your town, how many cases? You told me there's 71 cases? Yeah, 61. 61. That's a lot. How many people live in your town? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. 30,000? I, I don't know either. But, you know, it's a very, you know, I would say kind of uh, like it's only 20 minutes from the city, but it's not in the city. It's a beautiful suburb and very right. educated. And so it's surprising to me that people are doing this. And I actually really, really worried because I thought, you know, who I don't think is going to take this seriously is my parents. And a, a lot of people are having to yell at their parents every day, please take this seriously. And I'm so glad that you guys are. And I guess, you know, if the casino closed, that that helps too, that you don't have to decide, like, you just can't go. But I don't like you guys shopping. I wish you, you guys don't have, see, my audience doesn't know, you guys don't have apps like iPhones or iPads. You have flip phones and the computer. So you can't take a picture of yourselves and send it to me, which I would love to see. Uh, you can't yeah. do any, I, I, don't, I want you to have delivery so that you don't have to keep going to the store. It makes well, me angry. I bought enough now that I won't be going for a while. I mean, a long while. And, um, 
set it up for you and you can tell me your grocery list and then I can shop online at Roach Brothers for you. We'll talk no. offline about it. I'll let you know. If it comes to that, I'll let you know. It should be th- at that right now. You're elderly. You shouldn't leave the house. Ever. Thanks a bunch. No. <laughs> well, I don't leave the house and I'm only 45. Uh, no, not yet. Well, yeah, you are. That's right, too. Well, speaking of foxes, I spoke to a friend of mine this afternoon and she told me that they have stopped paying all the employees, even the hosts. Oh, that's they're, too bad. They've laid them all off. Ooh. And they're not doing that in Massachusetts. There are three casinos in Massachusetts, and they're not doing that. So, that's yeah, that's pretty sad. It's mm. not right, you know? No, that's I'll not right. Job back whenever this is over. But you don't know. So, is this your whole program? I hope not. No, I it's I go on for an hour. Listen, this is more interesting than anything I've been saying because, you know, I haven't been doing anything, so I'm just telling people about how I think I went through a period where I was drinking too much wine, and I thought, I can't sit home and drink wine by myself at night. Like, this isn't good. <laughs> oh, yeah, they just had a, a big bulletin on, on the news, and they said people should stop drinking, um, smoking pot, and smoking in general, as if somebody who smokes is going to be like, oh, okay, I'll stop right today. <laughs> Not that I, I don't smoke. I did years and years and 100 years ago. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that isn't something that people are going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm really scared. They're not going to be able to do that. No. And, and um, the other thing, the... Um, Smoking pot, no. But the thing is that this is really bad for smokers. Like, they're high risk of, of getting really complications from this. Yeah, that's why they said it's good. As they did back in the plague time, the Black Plague... To go outside, they had these fresh air tents, and they put patients in there so they would breathe only fresh air, although yeah. they had a lot of pollution back then. Well, but, um, yeah. So it's good for everybody to be outdoors and get as much fresh air in your lungs. In fact, after I talk to you, I'm going to go outside and... Maybe I'll see a few um, wackos out there that I can yell at while I'm out there. Well, it's good to, you know, moving your legs is like one of the biggest helps to your immune system. Because yeah. I, I do think that if we all sit around drinking wine and eating cookies, when we have to go back out into the world, this virus will still be going around for a couple of years, and we want our immune systems to be strong. So I've been, I've been, you know, I had a couple of days where I just let myself go, and then I realized I want to keep my immune system strong for reentry, and right. I don't want to come out of this like 20 pounds heavier and miserable on my birthday in August. And so, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't smoke anything anyway so I don't have to worry about that but I thought you know even for us like if I had to drive away suddenly like I can't be sitting around drunk you know I don't know I always think like what if I had to drive away suddenly yeah no drink I'm, I drink um well like with pizza I drink salsa you know that like raspberry salsa or something like that yeah or I drink water <coughs> I drink tons of water I'm tr- that's really good. I'm trying to drink 64 ounces a day. I've got my big... I mean, I do drink wine. Listen, don't get me wrong. I'm still going to have my few glasses a week, but I don't have to, like, yeah. you know... You don't have to get drunk. <laughs> no, it was becoming an automatic thing. Like, ooh, the sun went down. I'll have a glass of wine. And I realized it's because I actually like to be active at night. So I'm doing my exercising at night now so that it doesn't become, oh, I just watch TV all night, you know, that kind of thing. I just saw that commercial um, on TV the other day. The woman who has a, um, a school, it's ballet, yoga. I wondered if it was the one that you are doing. It's, you know, it's, it's, no. it's not free. I'm doing ballet It's just ballet. Oh, 
Okay. And I look like a stupid idiot doing it. No, hers is similar, and people that usually go there, I'm sure it's just as expensive, but... No, no, this... Usually go to her studio doing it. And no, it's way... Ch those kind of classes are usually like 20 to 30 bucks each. And now for like $10 a month, you can do stuff online. So people are weirdly saving money. I'm sure those places are losing money, but people are kind of saving yeah. money. Um, all right. Well, I'll let you go. I want you to go outside before it gets dark. Okay. And anything religious going on with you this weekend? Uh, mm, well, no, you know, just I usually my usual prayers with, you know, Nana and Blessed, Blessed Mother. But no, okay. you know this is Jesus's big weekend, but you don't really. Well, yeah, but Jesus, he's her son. <laughs> I love that well, Jesus isn't your favorite. <laughs> no, no, we talk, no, no, not Paul McCartney. Um, no, we, you know, we talk about that together. And yeah, I really do believe it. I feel like our, my mother, Nana, that we called her, um, is right in the middle of the whole thing. And she's. Yeah, at least she's keeping a watch on her family, let's put it that way. Well, that's nice. But I'm saying, do you have any, like, Jesus-y oh. stuff that you do for Easter? Because it's, it's Jesus' Well, actually, holiday. I did. Um, I went to a funeral about a month ago, and they were passing out um, these, um, pa not Passover, that's Jewish. Uh, they were doing the, uh, the Lenten thing, you know, where you do something oh, yeah. every day. So I've been reading those um, prayers every day, which... It's really interesting because whoever wrote it um, adapted it to our times. It's not in biblical yeah. language. It's in current language. So it is, yeah, I do read that every day. Um, it's kind of nice. Um, I'm not sure if I can keep up with it, if I can, you know, do what it says. Did you <laughs> Did you give up anything for Lynn? Um, yeah, Foxwoods. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Maybe you can give up like, calling people bitches on the street. Well, yeah, that was an extreme. I mean, that, <laughs> that, I mean, that was just uncalled for. It was like I know. an elderly lady. Oh, it makes me so angry. You, you don't let your dog jump on her because maybe you'd, maybe you'd knock her over. You never know. Well, we're dealing with a real problem here where the generations younger than me just do not respect older people at all. So it makes yeah. me pissed. Pissed. Yeah. Oh, anyway. yeah. Well, we got that here, too. Yeah. I, if only they realize the older someone lives, they change. You've changed so many times, and you're so yeah. inspiring to me. You're just so funny and open and different than you were 20 years ago even, and, and young people should not be such assholes to older people. Well, difficult, you know, when you're bringing up teenage girls. That's not easy. And, um, and when you're young yourself, I mean, I was 22 when I had Linda, and, you know, what do you know? You don't know that much, and... And my mother was never one to really um, sit down and be like, okay, this is what you do about this, and that's what you do about that. Um, so, yeah. So, well, and I never gave them any problems. So she didn't have any things to say about, like, don't let them smoke pot. Don't let them smoke. Don't let them drink, because I didn't do that. So yeah. she, had not, she had nothing to base it on, I guess. But um, well, it all turned out wonderful. We're all great. We, Whoop. My little Jenny. My little Jenny. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, love you much. We'll talk again. Not on the not on the podcast. Everyone will love your updates. <laughs> they crack me up. Not too boring, but you're not. They're going to go back to being bored right now. I'm going to finish the show. Okay. Stay. Everyone, stay happy, healthy, strong, and safe. Oh, that's so sweet. They will. I demand it. Okay. All right. They All right. love you. Bye, honey. Bye. Bye.
That was an update with my mom. Do you hear? I'm trying to get her to go, what's up with Jesus? She's like, Mary was his mother. <laughs> she won't. She won't say a nice thing about Jesus. It's it's a thing I've made up in my head, but I think I just proved it right there. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Oh, here come the letters from people. I religion is made up. Oh, just relax. Let someone have their fucking religion. Um So yeah, I'm I'm my new thing is I want to keep that immune system strong. Ah! This is tipping over. This is tipping over. Hang on. Okay, I think that's going to be okay. Oh, God, this video thing. God, I miss being in the studio. This is a dis- this is a disaster. Ugh, I feel so, like, oppressed because I have, I have, um, I don't feel oppressed, but I just want to, like, do, I think I'm just going to try to do nothing this weekend, but I have a few things to do here and there, and then Monday, but this, by the time you hear this, this will all have happened for the video people that are going to get it early. Um, Monday morning, I'm doing a video Skype with the Stephanie Miller radio show, and then I'm doing David Spade's show, which is on Instagram, but I'm doing that later in the day, and it's like, I get two things to do on a Monday in a pandemic, like, but I should be counting my blessings. People, people want me for things, and that's good. So I'm going to go through this article, but, but talk about it. So procrastination is an emotional problem. You know, I am a bad procrastinator. I get things done, but you know, let's say I'm on a writing job. Um, some jobs really are like, no, 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 I'm not procrastinating, actually working, thinking, talking, plotting it out, the script, blah, blah, 12 hours a day. And then there's some writing jobs where it's like, I have to think of something funny and I'm going to sit here and stress about it for 10 hours and I can't talk to friends on the phone and I can't go for a walk and I can't do this and I can't do that. That's just how I I get in my head. and uh, And then I wait until the last minute and I write the thing and then what could have been the fifth draft is the first draft. But now it's due and it's like, I, I realized when I read this article that it, it actually really helped me because anytime I start procrastinating, <clears throat> I'll think, is this just an emotional problem? Am I just insecure about what I'm going to write and I'm already reacting to it and so now I'm just shutting down? You know, I mean, obviously tinkering and looking at the sky and taking some free time is part of being and I was just going to say an artist. I was going to say anybody. Anytime you have to come up with new ideas, you need a little space in there, right? Space and quiet and free time is a big part of work productivity. But you know the difference. You know in your heart when you're procrastinating versus, oh, part of the process, and I'm really in a good mood about it, is taking a step back. That you know the difference. And you know once the word, I'm procrastinating, like once you are even aware of it, it's like, oh, right. I'm, I'm having feelings, but I'm not facing them. And so, so this is, um, this is a great article. It was in Fast Company. Um, this is back from 2019, but the author's name is Sam Chemis Zapier. Uh, I told myself I'd start writing at 10 a.m. and crank out a few sections of this article before lunch. It's now 1.40 p.m. and I'm finally getting started. What happened? In the commonly held view of procrastination, I failed to appropriately manage my time. Or maybe I was just lazy, unmotivated, distracted, or all of the above. But new research on the psychology of procrastination suggests something different. Maybe the problem lies not with willpower, but with emotions. Procrastination is not a time management problem. It's an emotion management problem, says Tim 
Peichel, an associate professor of psychology at Carleton University and blogger at Psychology Today. He uh, is talking about the mounting evidence that connects procrastination and mood. For many of us, bringing emotions into the brass tacks issues of work may seem counterintuitive. But more and more, um, there are studies that point to the fact that mood and emotion regulation is the main culprit in procrastination. So this article kind of explores those studies, what procrastination is and isn't. So this is from, again, this guy Peichel in his book, Solving the Procrastination Puzzle. Procrastination is a voluntary delay of an intended act despite the knowledge that this delay may harm us. It's almost like addiction, right? Like I know this is harmful, but I can't stop. And, and the immediate reward of this right now has to outweigh the consequences because there is an immediate reward for me in procrastination, but it's like that reward I hate. I hate that I'm doing it, but I'm doing it like, oh, I'm falling into the kind of zoning out and isolating thing, but I, it's, it's my comfort right now. This like pain and intensity of the procrastination is my comfort right now, even though I know it's like the wrong comfort. So think about it. You know that tackling your to-do list will make you happier, less stressed, and more content, but you all too often don't do it. Trying to think or plan your way through the problem won't do any good because it's irrational. It's an emotional problem. Specifically, procrastination is an emotion-focused coping strategy to deal with negative emotions. Peichel explains, it goes something like this. We sit down to do a task. We project into the future about what the task will feel like. We predict that the task will not make us feel good. It will stress us out, make us feel bad. Our emotional coping strategy kicks in to keep us away from this bad feeling. We avoid the task. The emotional avoidance technique that our brain often subconsciously employs is similar to that which underlies many types of anxiety. People with anxiety often do everything they can to avoid the perceived external threat and in turn, shut off access to both good and bad feelings leading to depression. That's right, because then when I procrastinate, I start getting depressed. And I'm like, oh, you know, my, oh, this, this line of work makes me depressed. You know, I got to get back out there on the road. That's my real work. But, but it's not that. It's, it's, it's I think I have like anxiety about writing or I'm not good enough or I'm, you know, all this shit comes up, but it comes out in procrastination. So by procrastinating, we're avoiding a task with the assumption that the task won't feel good, and that means we're missing out on any feelings of accomplishment or success, potentially. The connection between procrastination and depression has been around since at least the 90s, and the experimental evidence has poured in ever since. Another study, co-authored by this Dr. Peichel guy, whose name I'm not saying correctly, links between procrastination and negative emotions like frustration and resentment, and that makes it even more difficult to cope with the potential negative emotions we predict our task will create. So instead of feeling even worse, we opt for something that makes us feel good. Giving in to feel good is the term given to this phenomenon in one paper cited by many procrastination researchers, and it means seeking short-term good feelings at the cost of long-term satisfaction, something we're known to do as early as toddlerhood. And that's what I was saying. It's like almost similar to addiction in that way. I hadn't even read this article fully yet, so I just want to give myself a high five for kind of knowing. Ooh, ooh. The key insight from the research is that giving in to feel good isn't about willpower or forcing yourself to do something you hate. It's about managing your emotions so they don't get hijacked by your inner critic. The fear of procrastination, and that's your inner critic. One study attempted to tease apart 
the relationship between procrastination and emotion. Um, it found significant positive correlations between procrastination and rumination and negative correlations between procrastination and both mindfulness and self-compassion. So he says, let's start with the relationship between self-compassion and procrastination because it's both counterintuitive and revealing. What's the first thing you do when you catch yourself indulging in a particularly egregious spell of procrastination? Do you tell yourself, what's wrong with you? Pull yourself together and get your work done. That lack of self-compassion might be exactly what's causing your procrastination in the first place. Or maybe you don't beat yourself up. Maybe you just hang your head and feel guilty for the work that you've put off. But feeling guilty is no, is no better. Guilt can be one type of ruminative thinking, which also exacerbates procrastination. That is, we get caught up in our own narrative about how bad we feel for putting off our work, which feeds on itself and drains our ability to get the work done. We know we're culpable for our own self-defeated actions, and that brings us down. <clears throat> Another study found that procrastination is associated significantly with negative automatic thoughts in general, as well as automatic thoughts reflecting the need to be perfect. In both studies, this highly critical mindset created and perpetuated the problem of procrastination. It's funny, too, because I was learning about perfectionism over the past few years, and perfectionists actually are so often not people who do everything perfectly. It, it's, it's a disease of... It's an act of self-hatred. It's an act of anxiety to be a perfectionist. And usually those people can't get anything done. They can't get anything started. Or they don't have any joy in anything they've done because it's not perfect. So it's not actually a nice, tidy little thing. <clears throat> when we're putting off work, we tell ourselves we're being lazy and that we need to suck it up to power through. But the research suggests taking a softer, more compassionate view of our own behaviors and that may be the key to breaking out of the self-perpetuating spiral. I actually had to do that with myself about writing. I had to sit and just imagine that I was like a six-year-old girl. And I had to be like, I know you're freaking out about this assignment, but I'm a grown-up and I've got you. So I don't need your opinions on this right now because you're trying to protect me by freaking out. But I know how to handle this. I just do the work. You know, I take one, you know, I, I had to do this whole like talk with my inner kid. <clears throat> You're all like, what is up with this girl? Um, overcoming procrastination. Knowing that it's an emotional regulation problem is probably a good start, but what steps can improve the behavior? Um, Peichel brings together ideas from three fields of study. The first comes from Buddhist psychology. It's the idea of the monkey mind that we all share. The monkey mind never stops and you can't make it stop. Instead, you've got to give the monkey something to do. The second, which comes from more traditional psychology, is that our emotions can't be pushed aside or ignored. So when we have a strong aversion to getting our work done, we can't ignore this feeling. The third part comes from David Allen, the founder of the book Getting Things Done Method, which is the idea that we don't do projects when we work. We do actions. In other words, the mountain of work that we picture ourselves wading through is really just a set of smaller, discrete actions that have to be taken one at a time. We put our pants on one leg at a time and write our articles one word at a time. What's the next action? Mindfulness and, oh, <clears throat> Peichel ties these three threads together with one simple mantra. What's the next action? Willpower is a slippery concept. Some researchers think it doesn't even exist. He recommends cultivating another mental skill, which is mindfulness. The skills developed in mindfulness meditation, such as concentration, non-judgment, and equanimity, <clears throat> align perfectly with the research 
showing the vital role of emotional regulation in reducing procrastination and improving productivity. Um, a recent brain scan found reduced activity um, in the brain hijack them. Okay, great. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, so it's really just notice, let the feelings go, and stop beating yourself up. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Um, you, you obviously know how to get to the Google and read more about that. Anyway, um, I really enjoyed revisiting the movie Amadeus. It's so good. I watched the director's cut on Amazon. And what I loved about it is I'm a huge Mozart fan. So you're listening to this. The whole m movie is scored by Mozart music, from the operas to full orchestral things to piano moments. So it's this very relaxing classical music journey tied up in this otherwise funny, dark comedy. And so if you've never seen Amadeus, I highly recommend it. And what I love about it is it's not wholly untrue. He, um, a lot of that is, is very true. And, and some of it's pieced together from um, urban myths, but it's a great movie. Um, I also rewatched Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Oh my God. I love that movie. I like Holly Grail more, but <clears throat> I know that Life of Brian is a masterpiece. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And um, and then I watched this movie Uncorked on Netflix, which is new. I liked it. I didn't like love this one plot point, but I can't tell you because it's a big spoiler. But the music's a great soundtrack. It's wine. There's Paris. It's great. Um, there's just one plot point that I'm like, do we need that? But otherwise, it's good. So I recommend those three movies for your Holy Week viewing. They all include very biblical themes, um, whether we're Jewish or Catholic or anything in between, or atheist even. Wine, family, music, um, death, jealousy, and insane asylums. There you go. All right, I'm going to end the episode on this article I told you all about. Let's get all the frogs out. I'm going to just end the episode. I will not be interrupting the article to give my commentary as I just did on the other thing. And I don't know. I think it might be comforting. Oh, for fuck's sake, this thing won't stop tipping over. Stop tipping over, you tippy. Oh, it's like a tippy tipperson over here. There we go. Okay. So let's find it. Let's. I never read your emails today. Sorry, guys. Here, I found it. I found it. So enjoy. It's called, I think we're alone now. Welcome. This is in the New York Times by Glynis McNichol. I spend a lot of time thinking about what it means to be alone. I'm a writer in my mid-40s who is neither partnered nor has children, so alone is my modus operandi. It is my way of existing in the world, my preferred way, I should add. I quite enjoy my life and has been for quite some time. This has put me at a peculiar advantage during the last three weeks or three centuries, depending on how you've experienced time since March, as many of the increasing restrictions being placed on New York City were already in place in my daily life. I've been working from home for nearly a decade 
After 15 years in media, I've grown accustomed to facing financial instability and a market that is unreliable, and I live alone. So social distancing is the norm when I'm inside. In other words, I didn't have to change much. In truth, barring the anxiety we're all bearing for our loved ones and those on the front lines, perhaps the biggest shift in my pandemic life thus far has been the sometimes wild experience of having the world suddenly arrive at a place I've been living in for so long. All at once, I'm watching people publicly grapple with many of the aspects of life I've long considered normal, but sometimes have a tough time articulating. To be single and without children after a certain age is to largely disappear off the cultural map. And I've spent the last few years struggling with how to best approach one of the unexpected challenges of my life, the need to create a language around my experiences so that others can understand. In fact, the devastating isolation I've sometimes experienced has almost always been the result of not being understood, of people not believing me when I say I'm happy. It has been somewhat shocking then to open Instagram and see a type of language emerge, to find posts about color-coded guidelines created to let people know what sort of alone you are. Red, supplies are needed. Yellow, isolated at home. To watch my Twitter feed fill with people advising their followers to check in with friends and loved ones. To tune into Governor Andrew Cuomo's increasingly therapeutic news conferences and listen to him talk about the difficulties of isolation and how to manage it. To abruptly begin hearing from friends daily who are newly coping with isolation. It has felt like a tidal wave rushing out to greet me and then carry me away with everyone else. Instead of being alone at sea, I am suddenly just another member of a global experience. I am normal. The shift has been dizzying. In January, I underwent a breast biopsy that required anesthesia and thus someone to come get me. I arrived at the hospital having neglected to tell anyone I was having the procedure. This wasn't out of pride. I'd simply forgot. When you're used to answering most of your own questions on a daily basis, what will I wear? What do I want to eat? When do I want to leave? The asking muscle gets awfully weak. In the examining room, I scoffed when the nurse kindly told me most people bring someone because they want emotional support. It wasn't until an hour later, when I was trapped between the two metal panels of an imaging machine so tightly that I cried out more than once and being told not to move as they squeezed my breast tighter and tighter that I realized my mistake. I did need someone, badly. For a few very long moments, the only person I wanted was my mother. It was a realization that took my breath away, not only because my mother died nearly three years ago, but also because even when she was alive, I did not crave her presence. But of all the people in our lives, our mothers are the ones who are required to show up for us unconditionally and unasked. The test results came back fine, but I spent the next weeks wondering if I'd somehow become a person who was too good at being alone and how one went about fixing that. And now, suddenly I don't have to. The language of this pandemic is the language of isolation. In her book, The Lonely City, Olivia Lang writes, so much of the pain of loneliness is to do with concealment, with feeling compelled to hide vulnerability, to tuck ugliness away, to cover up scars as if they are literally repulsive. 
These days, as we are forced to conceal ourselves, we are at the same time required to conceal nothing else. Even so, I was unprepared for the cacophony of regular voices that entered my world. Shortly after Governor Cuomo asked us to stay home, I woke up with symptoms consistent with coronavirus. Like so many, I didn't qualify for testing. The daily calls I was already getting turned into twice-daily ones. To be outside marriage and motherhood is to be outside most of the rituals available to women. But suddenly, I'd been thrust into the epicenter of new ones. I'm fine now, but the check-ins remain. All of us suddenly worried we'll lose each other in the space that's been enforced between us, sending out sounding pings to make sure everyone else is still where they're supposed to be. Even in the midst of this shared nightmare, there is something strangely gratifying about the situation. Visibility is as much a celebration as it is a blueprint. Now that I can see versions of myself everywhere, I'm increasingly aware of all the ways I've not just managed, but thrived. The invisible being made visible has been one of the rare overdue upsides of this moment. This pandemic hasn't merely revealed the deep fault lines in this country when it comes to wealth and security gaps. It has thrown into the spotlight the legions of workers we depend on daily and who largely toil for rock-bottom wages. Grocery store workers, food delivery people, child care workers, school teachers, many of whom are now attempting to homeschool their own children while running online classes for their students. Healthcare workers on the front lines, those normally relegated to the sidelines, have taken center stage. And yet, in some ways, too, the old divides remain. Every parent I know is currently at home struggling to manage homeschooling and childcare duties along with their jobs, and no doubt looking at my solitude with the same gaze I have felt in the past when I've decided I wanted to take a trip and just up and left. Just as I increasingly scroll through photos of families able to hold one another with covetous eyes. The wave that has carried us all into some form of isolation has carried me a bit further. How long, for instance, will it be until I feel the touch of another human being again? There is such a thing called skin hunger. We know that skin-to-skin -skin contact raises our oxytocin levels, the hormone connected to well-being and happiness. Without it, we become vulnerable to things like stress and depression. My fridge is currently full of more food than it has ever held, but I've begun to wonder what happens when I go hungry for touch. I've seen people discuss how after this, we will become a society afraid to connect in real life. But I'm already fantasizing about leaving my building and running through my Upper West Side neighborhood, arms open to every and any encounter. It's a harsh reminder that true connection requires movement. I wrote an entire book on the exhilarations and challenges of being alone, and I've been thinking anew how the story I was really telling was one about movement to determine the outlines of my life as best one can. And now here I sit by myself in a top floor studio, unable to see anyone. We are all quickly learning that Zooms can't compete with the real thing or go anywhere. The spinster aunt in the attic is an image that has dogged single women for time out of mind. And after a lifetime defying it, I've suddenly been thrust into that role. The difference now is that my sole consolation, as therapist Cuomo pointed out the other day, is the same as it is for everyone else. We are all up here together, our heart firmly on sleeves. No shame, except on those still determined to go out. No translation necessary. We're all speaking the same language now. Until next week, have fun.